Greetings, dear listeners. Before we get started, a reminder to head on over to wisdomofcrowds.live and consider becoming a paying subscriber if you're not one yet. You'll get access to, among other things, the full conversation, as well as other subscriber-only benefits. And don't forget to give us a like and review on your favorite podcast app. With all that out of the way, on to the show. This is so interesting and I think it'll be fun and I'm not sure exactly what to expect because this is the first time on Wisdom of Crowds in four years that we've had a pseudonymous author and writer and so you will not see his face and you will not hear his real voice because it is something we take seriously that he did write this very provocative piece which has gone viral in some quarters of the internet for, um, let's say, a right-leaning, not, not just leaning, an actual leaning. right, <laughs> right-wing, yeah, just right-right um, right. <laughs> publication, The American Mind. The piece is called Meet Your New Allies and Dragoman, um, and that is his pseudonym, um, is telling people on the right that Muslims may now be their allies, and he's making the case saying... Folks on the right, even Trump supporters, you have a chance because something is changing in the American Muslim community. I won't do justice to describing it, so why don't we just go straight to Dragoman and give us give us the kind of crux of the argument, and then I want to ask you why you chose to use a pseudonym, but we'll do that after. So go sure. forth. Yeah, well, thank you guys for having me on. Um, this is the first time I'm really doing anything like this. Uh, in, a, in any real way. But I will say, though, that the rise of the pseudonymous thinker, the pseudonymous writer, is something you're seeing in a few corners of the internet. If you haven't checked out her podcast yet, Alex Kashuda has a great podcast called Subversive. It's quite interesting, and she's had on a number of uh, Twitter anon- anonymous accounts, etc., who've just gone and, you know, they are making a dent in the discourse. And a lot of this, the rise of the pseudonymous writer... Um, you know, you're seeing it come out of the tech space. People like uh, Balaji over at Coinbase and others, they've spoken about how to separate from your real name and your uh, the name, you know, where you deal with the government with your social security number and all that. And then the name that you kind of engage online with, your online handle, there's no, we've always assumed that they should be one and the same, especially in Internet 2.0, um, where, you know, people started using Facebook with their real names, etc. But I'm old enough to remember Internet 1.0 when we all had AOL screen names, when we basically all were pseudonymous. Um, and now, you know, I think we're entering this new time where we're kind of realizing again the the utility of the pseudonym. And just as a Muslim, the idea of the pseudonym is something that you see um, quite often with uh, poets. So in the subcontinent, the term tahallus is often used for, for the pseudonym of a poet. Um, and uh, I don't write any poetry. But I thought that was a, just an interesting sort of parallel. So I figured, just given the nature of the discourse, where it's at, and my own kind of brewing thoughts over the years, um, I'd always wanted to say something. But the, I, I just didn't like how things had gotten to a point where whatever you put out there on the internet kind of follows you like a ball and chain. And there's always going to be someone out there waiting to unearth something you said years and years and years ago. And I'm very willing to say that many of the opinions I hold are very likely to change. Uh, I'm willing to forgive myself, I think, for whatever mistakes I make, but I don't think the rest of the world is, uh, at least not at this current state in time. I hope that changes, but um, seeing that that is the situation now, I think that's had had a bit to do with my decision to go with a pseudonym. And uh, uh, I'd spoken to a few people about how I should go about writing, what I should go about doing, and I just felt that when I wrote under my real name, I was always shadow boxing some figure, you know, whether, you know, it was all, maybe it was a political liberal, maybe it was a conservative 
or maybe like a Salafi leading Muslim, but there was always some other person that was hedging around. And this couldn't be straight in terms of what I wanted to say, because hmm. I was afraid of the social consequences of, uh, you know, what that might entail. Because the world is small, communities are small, the Anglophone Muslim community is perhaps even smaller. And so I figure why sh the, the important thing is to get the idea out there. People may call you a coward, people may call you all sorts of things, but um, the, the way discourse works is that you put out an idea now, and if the idea catches fire, it really almost doesn't matter who said it. Because it's the idea that that I think is important ultimately. So I'll get into the article now. Um, the article is I didn't choose the title; the editors kind of chose it. But it's called "Meet Your New Allies." Um, it's basically me making the case that the um, the social agenda espoused by the left has gotten to a point where uh, numerous groups think they've overplayed their hand with it. You know, with the whole LGBT trans ideology, whatever, you know, kind of term you'd like to use for it. Um, it's kind of gone, it's gone a bit too far. And there was this implicit assumption with, I think, minority groups that we were all in this together. It was the kind of line that you were given. We're all in this together. If they come for part of us, then they come for all of us and that we were expected to um, march for everyone's rights. Um, and that's, I think, what Muslims more or less did um, in the years after 9-11. Now, I personally see the war on terror ending the day Kabul fell back to the Taliban. Um, at, on that day, I really feel like America sort of mentally tried to wash his hands of the global war on terror, the greater war on terror, whatever you'd like to call it. And uh, Muslims just began to become a sort of... Um, you know, Muslims were not enemy number one in that sense, or Islam was not enemy number one. We didn't really feature too centrally in any of the presidential debates last cycle. Um, I even just, um, excuse me, I, I went to the uh, Democratic uh, Party platform and I tried to just do a control F quick search for the term Islam or Islamic or Muslims and couldn't find any mention except for some brief line about I, you know, continuing the fight against ISIS or something like that. So they used the term Islamic State. But overall, the discourse has kind of relegated Muslims back to being one of many uh, non-white minority groups, essentially. Um, and so, but what, there was this presumed sort of, I'm kind of rambling, so feel free to cut out whatever I'm saying. But the, No, good, no. Um, the, the presumed linkage between all non-white minority groups was that uh, they they all would sign up essentially for a type of radical pluralism as their civic religion. And I don't think anyone counted on the idea that there would be a group amongst them, and groups, I should add, groups amongst them, that held on to, that didn't really accept radical pluralism ultimately as how they wanted to live their own lives and what, what they wanted to advocate for in public. So Muslims, maybe, maybe they may be um, the most vocal of them all, maybe the largest, but you had other groups too, like uh, Armenians, uh, Armenian Christians. One of uh, the editors at the American Mind uh, made the comment to me that, because my original piece actually had taken a few pot shots of Christianity, um, and I had kind of taken that out. Um, and the reasoning that they gave for taking, for wanting to soften the piece a bit more there was simply to say that, you know, the Eastern Orthodoxy, at least, has been pretty staunch against a lot of the, um, you could say, LGBT agenda or the trans agenda, etc. And so I, I don't want, I want to, I want to be clear about that. It's not just Muslims that have an issue um, with what's happening. It's really, yeah. there are many groups out there that have issues with what's going on. We saw the Ethiopian church leaders speaking out against it over in the Maryland, um, Maryland protests at the school board that were, that was, that have recently been happening over there. So I think that we, so, yeah, I'm, I can keep going, but yeah, no, this is good to start, but Demir, one, one, one quick mm. jump in, you know, I, one, one thing that jumped out at me in your, just as you're talking here, just to sort of move it along and maybe to, as a contradistinction to what you're, you know, defending yourself in your unedited piece mm -hmm. about, uh, about Christians. Uh, the quote is, we were expected to racialize Islam into a cultural identity marker and to take radical pluralism as our primary religion. Um, I mm -hmm. thought I, maybe maybe that's what, what, what 
sets uh, Muslims apart in in the sense from yeah. any uh, conservative Christians uh, and sort of Christian sects that were doing that. You're not going to get Armenians racializing their identity in that in the same sort of way because the Muslim community in America is quite diverse, but yes. it's all it's all sort of uh, conflated into. Muslim as almost racial marker. I thought that was just like yeah. a good quote, just to yeah. sort of help you along as you're talking there. And I'll just yeah. add one thing too. I I, I do want to make clear for listeners that you're very you're very soft spoken, Dragoman, and um, I don't think that your description quite captures just how explosive the piece is. And I want to, <laughs> as the conversation goes on, yeah. I want to kind of push you a little bit to get a sense of like how reactionary are you really sure. because I think writing under a pseudonym it gives you a kind of freedom to kind of let the you know let the I was gonna say the rainbow but that's probably not the right thing but like let all the colors flow or something and the, freak flag, the, the freak, freak flag the flag right? freak flag flies <laughs> I mean I made the yeah, joke to so, a friend of mine that you know writing under a pseudonym it almost feels like you know, doing your day job, you're Bruce Banner. But when you start writing, you're yeah. Hulk or something, you know, or it's Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde sort of thing. So, I mean, you are, I think you're yeah. touching on something real that, you know, there's going to be a public nature to this. There's a type of, um, yeah, this is going to be public rele publicly released and it's going to feature some distorted version of my face and voice. And there is a degree to which I might be self-censoring a bit. And so I think you're right to try and, yeah, yeah, bring them on. Yeah, let your freak bag yeah. flow right now yeah, in this yeah, conversation. Yeah. Like, feel sure. free to say anything okay. that that you yeah. want and don't hold back because we actually want to hear what you think. So, sure. to the extent okay. that the article is actually capturing a shift in your own yeah. thinking, and your alter ego allows you to be the like yeah. to be the ideologue that you wish you could be, that's actually a good <laughs> thing, and that's part, yeah. as you mentioned, the point of having a pseudonym in the first place. Sure. So you go a couple steps further than just kind of. Um, expressing concern about the cultural leftward shift of the Democratic Party on some of these controversial gender and sexuality related issues, you're actually saying that it may be time for Muslims to ally explicitly with the GOP, with the Trump wing of the GOP, moreover, that's taking it a couple steps further than most Muslim writers have gone. I mean, I've obviously been critical of how the Democratic Party has approached some of these social issues. Um, but what makes you think, are you, you are comfortable with the idea of Muslims en masse in, in America moving to the Republican Party, Party and voting for Donald Trump in 2024, potentially? So I would say, so in short, I would be comfortable with it, yes. But I do think it needs a bit of unpacking because it isn't so much yep. Donald Trump and the Republican Party for their own sake. It's more because I think I used a line in the piece that there's a that Trump is a kind of defibrillator for Western society. And that, you know, there's there needs to be a moment. You could even make, maybe I'm a type of an accelerationist if you want to put it that way. There needs to be a, a some kind of shock shock jockey that comes along and wakes people up to i suppose the um what's actually happening uh to to their country and to i would say to western civilization in general um you know i don't particularly think trump is a moral person i think he's quite an immoral person in fact um i uh, i don't but i also don't think you know i don't think uh there's there are very few moral figures in politics period I remember when Donald Trump was first elected, um, one of my uh, teachers from Madrasa called me up because he knew that I was working, um, you know, in Washington at the time. We can just say that for now. I was working around Washington around the time Trump was um, elected. He told me, you need to immediately apply to work in the Trump White House. This is like the day after he was elected because everyone is just, you know, flabbergasted right now. And I think in his quote was, you know, brother, they're both bastards. Each and both sides are, 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 you know, are going to screw you in one way or another. You might as well get in there when 
very when we're all just kind of shocked at what just happened when we all expected a, a Clinton presidency, um, and may as well do some good or at least stop as much damage from happening. And uh, you know, I remember when he told me that at the time, I told him, "Well, no, that's unconscionable. Donald Trump is just you know he's Donald Trump. He's the big bad orange man, basically, right?" And that's kind of the sort of Kool-Aid that I think I was drinking for quite some time. I don't see him, again, I still don't see him as a moral person. I don't see the Republican Party as necessarily a moral party. But I also don't see the Democrats that way. Neither do I think I would see Joe Biden the same way. So I think the there's what for me, I think the shift rightwards is necessary because of what the social agenda portends for American society at large. And if, so, so if that could be moderated on the left... In any way, uh, like even slightly, uh, I think that I wouldn't be as forceful. But as far as I can tell, no congressman, uh, no Democratic congressman, senator, etc. No one really comes out and speaks against the, I would say, the extreme direction that the social agenda has taken. There doesn't seem to be space for moderates on the left in that regard. And so I don't really know what choice, what choice we have, I suppose is what I'm trying to say. But... Dragoman, so, I mean, Shadi, Shadi brought up a term earlier that maybe is a good thing to ground us on this. Would you say you're a reactionary or a conservative? Um, I mean, you could be both. You could be sort of conservative instincts and you've been driven to reaction. I mean, just what you said right now, you know, accelerationism, the rest of that, that's, that's reactionary. Um, like you're reacting to certain things in society and, you know, you, 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 you want change to happen because, but it's sort of that sort of thing. But I guess my question is first to you, do you feel, do you, do you consider yourself a conservative or reactionary? And then the, the follow on question is, is the modern Republican party conservative or reactionary in your view? Hmm. Right. So I think that. I'll say a few things. As for myself, I think when it comes to social issues, I'm certainly a conservative. Um, I suppose one could use the term reactionary if you wanted, but I don't. I, I would think conservative is, is worked fine, worked well enough for my parents' generation. Anyway, uh, you know, most of them would see themselves as socially conservative, and I think it's not so much that they shifted or I shifted. But that the country, or at least um, half of the country, seems to have shifted so far left that we might look reactionary by comparison now. Um, so that's one thing I would say. But you know, economically, you know, maybe um, I don't know that I would be so like f full, um, you know, free market. I wouldn't you know, necessarily be you know, libertarian in that sense. It occurred to me recently that the. Um, you know, Biden is running on this new plan of Biden economic, Bidenomics, as he's calling it, trying to play up what he's done for the economy, for inflation, that whole sort of thing, and kind of trying to show people the numbers and the statistics in terms of the unemployment rates and all these traditional markers of economic success. Uh, and I've always, you know, I think my, I thought to myself that I, w I could imagine many Muslims, including myself, I'd have to think about it some more, sign up for something you could say more leftist in orientation when it comes to economics. Um, but I would just want it to be more exciting. I think this is a critique too that Shadi has had as well, that there's this technocratic emphasis, you know, that you see often from uh, the center left or maybe the left in general, yeah. that we're going to convince them with the statistics. We're going to convince the people to vote rationally and, you know, using common sense and that sort of thing. And I think that just fundamentally reads why it is that people vote. And it seems to me that Democrats have not fully understood the extent to which um, the sort of militant social agenda is becoming the the main issue that a lot of people are going to vote on. Uh, and it's not just I, you know, I sometimes think, am I just too much of a do, do I live too much on social media or Twitter or whatever? Is it really this bad? And, uh, you know, where I live, I. I I, I, I run into people all the time, you know, white American, white American Christians. I remember seeing one, uh, speaking to one on a train, uh, a harvest train festival thing that we were attending. And he just told me, you know, I've been a Democratic voter my whole life. You know, it's not, I love the Democratic Party, but they've left me no choice at this point. You know, I, I this isn't the way, this isn't the America I grew up in. 
And I don't, I don't know that the left is seeing that. Now you had another question about is the conservative party is there is the are the is the Republican Party truly conservative? I, you know, as a kind of observer of ideas, um, have tried to challenge myself as a Muslim to understand conservatism as comprised of many different factions. And that is something that I've found the more I've, I've kind of uh, studied and observed them. You know, I had this line in the piece about how Trump's constituency is a galaxy away from the neocons of, you know, one or two decades ago. What, you know, I'm actually kind of interested in what's called the dissident right or the new right. A lot of these figures are folks who maybe 10, 15 years ago used to be socialists or leftists or democrats whatever the case might be maybe in the uk they voted for labor um but the way things have gone on that side of the aisle they felt compelled to look for a home elsewhere so it's an interesting mix where these folks by their own admission would say i actually gel more culturally with people on the left like i would i like going out to brunch or something like that you know i like uh you know i like the I ultimate like, marker of the left, yeah, brunch. Exactly, <laughs> the loathed brunch. No, no, no. The, the, the right goes to Old Country Buffet or Golden Corral, I suppose. I don't really know exactly. Exactly, but, exactly. Yeah. But, you know, but, but, uh, they, but okay. they find their hmm. politics now, yeah, is, is one that, is, that leads them to conservative conclusions. So they find themselves, yeah, culturally not really jiving with maybe the vast majority of the conservative electorate. But seeing no other choice for them. And in some sense, I kind of feel the same way, right? So I feel that a, a couple things have gone unsaid and I want a little bit of mm -hmm. clarity on them. You did allude to this idea of Western civilization being under threat and that Trump, Trump sh showed people that it was time to wake up. That's not very conservative to go back to this distinction. Mm. To be a conservative means to conserve conserve things that are still there. I think part of the issue now is that there doesn't seem to be a whole lot to conserve, or at least that would be the new right position. And then there is this sense that you need an external shock, someone genuinely crazy and unmoored from reality, maybe someone who's like sociopathic to actually interrupt the decline. You desperate times call for desperate measures. And I got a whiff of that when you said the Western civilization thing. I mean, that's not something I would really think to say. And I'm curious if you really think Western civilization is under threat, what that means to you, and why exactly the trans issue is so decisive in your thinking. Because that seems to be what has tipped the balance that up until a couple months ago, you know, you didn't feel a need to write and to speak out Whoa. and to have a pseudonym. Yeah. Now you do. So something has changed. And sure. you did. But like, it, how bad is it in your view? So I wouldn't. So a few things. Um, I, I started writing now just because I... I just felt like things had gotten to a point where I couldn't, I couldn't just be bitching to my friends forever, basically. You know, that's basically what I was doing for years and years, I would say. Um, and I think it was you know, a few friends actually pushed me to write it. I didn't. Uh, they said only you can really write something like this. You have a problem. Ah, it was the friends. So and wrote it. Yeah, the <laughs> you didn't friends have a kind yeah, of yeah. You were obliged. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I was obliged, and so I said whatever, this is a good way to procrastinate, you know, as opposed to what I'm supposed to be doing. So I came out and started writing. I came out and wrote this piece and I kind of liked it. So I started a sub stack and kept going and hopefully I keep it up, but we'll see where things take it, take me. Um, now I use the term Western civilization and the idea that it may be under threat. Now I'm not the one to originate this idea. I probably, um, Put a lot, I give a lot of the credit to Michael Anton for making this a mainstream idea on the right with his Flight 93 election piece that came out around the time when uh, that kind of gave and also came out on the American mind, uh, which, you know, which was actually one of the reasons I, I, I targeted the American mind. 
because they Anton and, and many of the editors there have been, I think, rightly sensing that a lot of the more interesting intellectual thought seems to be coming out of the out of pseudonym Twitter, if we can put it that way. And they're they're kind of pushing the edge a little bit more and people are responding to those ideas and it's something worth indulging. And so, you know, Anton first, you know, he used to be known as Publicus, if I'm not mistaken. Publicus, right? When he wrote the Publius. 93 election. Publius, I'm sorry, Publius. Sorry, I'm not up on my Roman history. I ought to be. Um, but the, um, yeah, so he came out with that. That that kind of, the idea of Trump as defibrillator, I would say, originated with him. Now, why do I care? You know, you know presumably I'm a Muslim supremacist. Uh, let's just say I am. In fact, I'm just, I'm still hedging, right? In terms of how I speak. I do believe Islam is the truth. I do believe that. It is, you know, when you die, certain things are going to happen, that you will go to certain places as opposed to other places, that falsehood... Demir will go to hell. I'll go to hell. And so now I get it. Shadi, this is my new thing for Shadi. Shadi also is a Muslim supremacist. I got it. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Anyway, go on. (laughs) I mean, I I just want to clarify. Because I I believe in those things. One way... Yeah. Yeah. Well, Clarify okay, yourself, Shadi, that you're not a Muslim supremacist. No, because people might, who might be listening for the first time, I don't believe that. Um, I don't believe, believe that non. But I don't believe that non-Muslims go to hell or that sort of thing. That's not really what. Um, but yeah, maybe some Muslim supremacists supremacists do. Um, I don't necessarily want to convert people to you know, Islam, ter- but this will get the term. The term. Yeah, we may go off. Okay, track well, and start our, talking about this, and maybe that's where we want to go. But what I, I only brought up this point of Muslim supremacy because this is the this is the term that's foisted on people like myself, just because we say that we believe in basically the consensus of all Muslim scholars, more or less, um, on certain issues of creed. You know, um, for instance, the um, I, I don't want to make too I don't want to jump into a theological discussion of who is saved and who isn't. But you know, there are there are many statements that are pretty clear cut i would say that most muslims not even most i would say like the vast majority of muslims have held with regards to um the fate of you know disbelievers in the afterlife etc now of course there's always room for um you know god's mercy and the whole sort of thing but it is what is adhered to as a matter of creed in public right it's just like for instance i tell people i had a series of tweets recently where you know the the refusal to acknowledge the term of kafir is, is such a silly debate in my mind as a Muslim because it's it's saying for you know for purposes of uh, dis, of distinguishing cat, people of different religions from one another in this life we will have to consider you not a Muslim therefore a, you know use the term kafir if you'd like as opposed to people use the term Muslim or whatever non-Muslim. Um, I'm really going off track. I don't even. Okay. I almost don't even. Want okay, to I just want to push you just very yeah, quickly yeah. on this go, go. because, yeah, yeah. yeah, technically, technically that may be what kafir means, but kafir has become a derogatory term used, of course, of course. against sure. non-Muslims. But even, but even theologically, as you know, the root of the word kafir, kafara, means to cover or to hide, and sure. here the idea is that people who are actively and maliciously kind of covering the truth. Anyway, we don't have to get into all that, yeah, but there yeah, yeah. are it is a complex word and it's a complex can, anyway. Word, sure. Sure. No, I uh, what I what I wanted to say is is only to talk about this term Muslim supremacist, right? Uh it is simply the idea that there's a person out there that believes their religion is true, that other religions are false. This term I don't like that I have to use this terminology, but it's just something that makes it starkly clear to the listener that that is actually what I believe. And, you know, I speak to Christians who believe their religion is true and that my religion is false. And I suppose that they're supremacists as well. And I think what I'm trying to say is that I enjoy that world, right, where people get to adhere to such views. But then when it comes to social interactions, we, we're we able to uh, still get along, still live in the same place, etc. And uh, this gets into models of pluralism, which I think is a very interesting topic, something I wish to write on. Okay, let's go back future. to Western civilization, because yeah. I, I, right. I want to make sure we pinpoint... Yes, yeah, so, because so in this some is, ways, yeah. you, In some ways, you, you don't want Western civilization to survive or thrive as it currently has been. You would prefer for more Islam... You would want Western civilization to have more of a Muslim infusion, let's say. But putting that aside, like... W- 
maybe maybe also if you could address the point of why now and why have things reached this point where we need a defib- defibrillator, i.e. someone like Donald yeah. Trump. Like, because that's what something is hinging on a particular moment in time, and it has to do with gender. So maybe just take those two things uh, where where you wish. Yeah. So I think gender is where it's things seem to be coming to an inflection point. I don't, you know, I, I'm uncomfortable with the characterization that's often put on people who are more socially conservative that they they just you know, they're obsessed with sex or they're, you know, they, they just don't know how to, you know, avoid situations they don't want to put themselves in. And that whole, so that they're just essentially prudish and that they can't just chill out. That, that's oftentimes the, the, the accusation that's hoisted on social conservatives. So, but I think it has to do with much more than that. I think it has to do with um, essentially the, the, the concept of what a human being actually is what its purpose generally should be, uh, you know, I would say just in, in general to survive and propagate is general goal of any species of animal. Um, and, you know, if we enter into a world in which people can base solely on a feeling, uh, begin to uh, essentially challenge that idea, begin to as as a result, you know, so many different social norms start changing. Marriage rates start going down. Divorce rates start going up. The replacement rate, fertility rates go down. Um, you know, then people get heightened anxiety levels over immigration, right? So what you're seeing with the France riots and all these sorts of things is we're letting these you know, these swarthy immigrants who multiply like rabbits enter into our countries. It wouldn't be that big of a deal if they themselves were multiplying at equal equivalent or faster rates. But I think most people know that Europeans and increasingly Americans as well, um, replacement rates are nowhere near um, where things are with Muslim populations. And so there that does create deeper anxiety. So yeah, we start off with the sexuality conversation, but we can very easily from it move into a number of different almost every other field of um contention within politics begins to be affected so in that sense i see it as a systemic crisis um so such as I, what I, though how does it affect every other issue Can so you for instance, you, if, if you more? go if you go from um uh if you, if you center everything around identity then people begin to say begin to only see politics as purely a game of establishing their identity firmly, whether it is a national identity or a sexual identity or whatever the case might be, such that when, you know, immigration comes in, now people begin to solidify their national identity, their um, France is a Christian nation or whatever the case might be, or a nation that speaks a certain language, has a certain history, certain proclivities, certain things that it celebrates. Um, likewise, in America, I think, you know, the, the that's less of a case, uh, it's it's less uh, salient that kind of nationalistic idea in America, because America is more of a country that's based on a civic idea as opposed to a uh, a, a national story, if you want to put it that way, um, or an uh, ethnic anyway, story yeah, specifically. Ethnic I think that's, that's that's a better way. That's what I'm really trying to say exactly. So no, at but any rate, recommend- but the migration thing then does bleed into into areas like economics. It bleeds into, um, you know. I mean, we could. Just, I just think it, it's yeah. self-explanatory how it kind of begins to well, affect everything. Yeah. But let me let me here, here's 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 sure. the part that um, just to return us a little bit back to the conservative versus reactionary part. Um, I've got sort of a lot to say, and it'll come out sort of jumbled. And just yeah, take I apologize to hear. I feel like so, you have a lot to say, and we've just been. Or I've really just been. No, 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 no. Look, we've got an hour and a half, and we can go longer. <laughs> we, we can we sure. can unpack this for <laughs> hours. It's the internet. It is. <laughs> Listen, um, it's like this. Um, I remember I was invited to a dinner for Michael Anton's second book. I don't know how many books he's written. It was after the mm-hmm. flight five thirty eight at like Hillsdale. No, not ninety three. 
93 and whatever. Yeah, right. Not 538. <laughs> That's that polling firm. It was different. Um, the, no, it's, it's, uh, it was his, uh, I think, a follow-up to, uh, to the flight book. Um, and it was, I think it was organized by Hillsdale. And, you know, um, I think I was still working at the American Interest at the time. Um, so just sort of very broadly center-right circles. And I was invited to this. And, and I really was struck by that dinner. Um, how everyone was in a panic and like Anton himself just gave this speech that was just like, uh, basically Trump has failed. I remember that very well. Like it's over, like the revolution has failed. And he was talking like a revolutionary. Um, and it was, it was, it was, I don't, I don't know. I've seen, I've, I've seen Anton at parties. I've, I've not met him. Um, and, uh, uh, the, uh, I, I don't know like how actually conservative he he is in his heart, but I, I I what I saw at that at that party was a reactionary who was uh, clearly agitated, worried, um, and uh, was talking in those those kinds of terms. What's interesting about your piece is that and that's what I was asking about conservative versus reactionary. Is that you know. Um, even today, you're talking about, you know, this accelerationism, reaction to what's happening, but your piece makes a plea to Republicans, to maybe Trumpist Republicans, um, as, if, uh, as if they're conservatives on conservative grounds. Um, and yet, like both Anton and I think, you know, part of how you're talking today, it, it's, it's less about bringing a coalition together to... Uh, restore a kind of, um, you know, more wholesome society um, and uh, and more about like it's broken. We need to just like reset. And so, I mean, I guess, you know, my question about whether Republicans are conservatives or reactionaries hinges on that is, you know, the the like the top line plea of your of your of your piece is. Um, I have conservative values grounded in religion. You do too. Let's find common cause in doing that. And yet, and yet there's a lot of reactionary stuff about the world, like coming, you know, like yeah. stuff being too broken and needing the defibrillator and stuff like that. So, well, I mean, so, unpack yeah. that however you want. My, 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 yeah. what, my, my prompt to you though is again, like to, to what extent do you think the Republicans are a conservative party? Because I, I'll, I'll put my cards down. I feel like they've become a reactionary party at this point in the sense mm. that, like, I think the, the top line pleas in your piece about common values and restoring, uh, you know, that there's shares to be had here, um, maybe don't apply. It's more like, okay, let's, let's, we're both pissed off because values that we may happen to share are being trampled on. So let's just tear it on down, tear it all down and, and start anew. Well, is that I'll, fair? I'll, is that like I'll, a fair? I'll insert, I'll insert something very quickly. So I think yeah. that conservatives, I agree with you, have not been able to conserve much. And so now they have to, by virtue of their failure, become a reactionary party. Um, I would say that Muslim societies in general, when it comes to social issues, have successfully conserved at least uh, on the issue, on social issues, on sexual issues, etc. That's not to say that nightclubs don't exist in the Muslim world, but um, on this issue, they've actually been pretty successful. Um, and I and I and I tried to make that clear in the piece that that base reality is not going to change in Muslim societies uh, anytime soon. Even if I would I would even argue, even if they are. Um, directly attacked by Muslim governments themselves in terms of, you know, secularization policies, etc. I, I, you know, personally, I didn't, I, I want to write more on this in the future, but I believe that governance is not just a top-down thing. Uh, I believe that true governance is from the top in terms of, you know, what one might call, from a Muslim point of view anyway, a sultan. And then there's governance that comes from below, which is that of, uh, I would, you know, as a Muslim, I would say it's the governance that comes from the saints, from the people of God, that people witness and are greatly affected by, that enacts a type of transformation in people. Um, and these don't, these aren't just, you know, men with beards and turbans. These are 
like your grandma who, you know, might pray in the middle of the night every night or maybe she fasts constantly or this or that. That's the type of deep sort of social fabric that creates a type of moral comportment that makes one deserving of being, uh, uh, I think, a true citizen of a polity, but also really just a, a full human being. You know, there's there's ideas in Islam about how one of the first things to leave the the Umar, the, you know, the, the global nation of Muslims is governance. That Islam, the, the hadith goes something like Islam will be undone not by not, and the first not to be lifted from from the Muslims will be that of external governance. And so, but over time, and then you see this, Shadi may be familiar with thinkers like Juwaini and others, right, who've written about, uh, like in his book, Riyadh al-Umam, um, right, the idea of, uh, and this is, Juwaini, for maybe your listeners likely aren't familiar, was a, um, a great scholar who's actually a teacher of Imam al-Ghazali. He had this idea that, he was living in a time where there there was actually a sultanate, there was actually a, a caliphate of some sort. But he theorized a time when these things would no longer be. And he, he went so far down with this logic, he theorized a time when, uh, you know, people wouldn't even know about the Quran anymore. He theorized a time when only people would know the name of God and that's all that they would have. He essentially has a theory of societal degeneration, if you want to put it that way, and how things would begin to change uh, as that as that went on, um, now th there's more about there's more I could say more thinkers I could bring into the mix, but suffice it to say that I think that despite the fact of years of war, um, explicitly pro secularization policies in the Muslim world, things that Shadi himself has written about in his book Islamic Exceptionalism, um, you still have this deep religious sensibility. You still have Muslim societies as deeply theocentric. You still have a great degree of social conservatism and uh like i said that only comes when something is deeply rooted uh from the bottom up and yes it's, it's okay it's a good thing if you can have things coming from the top down as well but i think my problem with people like anton conservatives in the west and others and essentially if i might even be so bold as to say christians in general is that i don't know that they understand this in the same way as a muslim would understand this you know you know, you see, it wasn't too long ago when conservatives were up in arms about banning Sharia law or whatever, right? And they don't understand that Sharia law is that thing which has me treat my parents with utmost respect, even when I feel that I've been maybe mistreated or disrespected by them. It's that thing which, when I, I, I enter the bathroom, I go in with my left foot and I exit the bathroom, I go out with my right foot. It's those things which create give a type of you, you might i don't want to go maybe that was a bad example you don't have to include it but there's no, the no, reason no we'll include the reason it. I, I mentioned mean... the, the reason i mentioned that example is because it creates a type of you know when one has a type of uh, extreme vigilance and awareness of the role of god at all times not just when we're talking about government policies or you know what the latest drag queen story hour controversy is that it's like a thing that just won't turn off in the mind. It's like a background process that is constantly running. Um, and it's not going to be confined only to what laws we can pass or, you know, uh, how many votes we can get. The, that's a very, that's very small potatoes to me. Uh, there is, this is what okay. I think Christians don't understand. They don't, especially, let me just make this last point. Christians, especially, do not understand the value of a law. You know, they treat it as this funny idea of Semitic legalism. In fact, because Jesus came to free them from the yoke of the law. Law is a yoke to so many of them, right? It doesn't serve any positive purpose. This is actually where I think that Muslims and Jews would have more in common, because we understand that law plays a huge role. You know, the Sharia, I would wager to you, will outlast and has outlasted um, pretty much, you know, every... Every temporary political, every every temporary state, territorial, nation state, or otherwise, um, that's that's out there, and it's more. I place more of my trust in the social norms engendered by by the Sharia than I would in any policy that might be enacted by a politician. So I mean, there's I don't know where or why I got yeah, into that. Yeah, that's but, great. Yeah, yeah, no, but that that's actually great, and I I but I I do want to backtrack 
I I read your I read your piece a little bit differently than perhaps Demir did. I saw it as more of a kind of there's definitely a stronger culture war element of it's not even about being socially conservative. It's about a kind of anti-wokeness, particularly as it relates to gender. And even if these Christians, nominal or otherwise, like aren't super conservative themselves, they do want to fight back against a particular liberal elite. And I think they use this term, or maybe in one of your other pieces on your Substack, you know, whether it's the magisterium or the cathedral, like this way of thinking yeah. about the the left-leaning cultural elite as this kind of immovable mass of people who are just uniquely dangerous. Um, so I, I, you know, I do wonder how much of this is, as the term anti-woke would suggest, it's reacting against... Right something right. in particular but i i do want to i do want to broaden out a little bit because i think the risk of being or becoming a reactionary is that you define your politics in opposition to something else and you don't necessarily have a clear affirmative political vision yourself this muslim evangelical catholic integralist alliance that you're you're kind of maybe hoping for what does that actually mean for a politics? Yeah. What is, like that? No, I agree it's, so with you. It's, it seems to me, yeah. And I would also, but I would also just say, like, where is where is the economy? We did talk a little bit about the economy yeah. earlier, but like on that, it seems to me there is a significant difference between the Democrats and the Republicans. And if you're so focused on anti wokeness, aren't you losing sight of the fact that? the economics of the Democratic Party are more closely aligned with social justice as it's understood in the Sharia, in Islam, that, you know, like, I don't know, like, labor unions are probably, like, somewhat, or, like, not exploiting people in a capitalist fashion. I mean, let me me just say a few things. So, I think the piece was somewhat edited by the folks over at American Mind. My actual... Words actually were much more harsh, and that's something I can say in a podcast. I hope without, um, without. Wait, uh, harsh in what yeah. direction? I mean, I I had a line saying that I totally against this idea of like a traditionalist alliance or an Abrahamic alliance. I don't even. I actually hmm. find in that a type of um, trap. And the idea yeah, basically really whenever helpful. I've yeah. whenever I've seen that that term used, I kind of acceded to it in the end because I just wanted the piece to get out there. But I think the trap there is basically it it places Muslims as a mere pawn in a Christian game. And I, and I just don't, and I actually just feel that we have, if anything, I feel Christians ought to be a pawn in a Muslim game. Uh, And I think that's really how I, how I, how I think. Yes. Yes. And so that's basically. No, 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 look. Yeah, and 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 this is but this is very this is very uh very deep sort of um, line of thinking because you you know Shadi you know you know as as a Muslim yourself growing up we heard things like the Islamic golden age you know when Muslims were making like astrolabes and you know telescopes and you know you know Ibn Haytham and optics and like all these different wonderful wonderful discoveries in medicine and science and art but you know over time and I credit. Um, Ahmed Paul Keeler uh, for this in his recent book, where he actually uh, makes a very good point that this is a very pernicious narrative. This narrative basically says that Muslims achieved their zenith civilizationally when they essentially were under the tutelage of Aristotle and Plato and Greek thinkers. And what I'm saying as a kind of explicit supremacist, right, is that um, the Muslim golden age came when the Prophet Muhammad came and came to humanity as the final prophet and yep. that really was the the moral and spiritual zenith of humankind period uh it's and that he was the greatest teacher um may peace be upon him that sort of thing uh i think it flips the frame frames that we've been so used to hearing that muslims have been themselves the advocates for for probably well over probably 200 plus years, you know, Muslim modernists have been kind of shoving this idea down our throat. 
And uh, I, I think it's again. I've just come to react against it. Maybe, maybe, but I, but I, I want to take issue with what you said. This idea that I'm. I don't think I. You meant to talk about me in particular, but I do think that the problem you saw with Islamists of the of you know from the sixties and this this is going to be hard to say because I'm speaking to like the expert on Islamism right now, but the um uh is that they were really a kind of um. No, Oweimer writes about this in one of his posts on the Brookings website, I remember a few years back, about Islamism yeah. as having an intellectual deficit. Um, they always, you know, this is the idea, I've become more anti-Islamist, I think, in, you know, since uh, uh, I've known Shadi. And I think it's because of my frustration with this, almost this term Islamic. You know, the, I, I always tell people if I could outlaw one word, I'd probably outlaw the term Islamic. Um, because I think it does precisely what you said is that it is a term that is simply a stand-in for non-Western, non-American, maybe anti-colonial, maybe not capitalist, or it's just like this very wishy-washy term yeah. that um, doesn't tell me substantively what you actually believe in. You know, Irshad Manji and ISIS both call themselves Islamic, right? And I, I really have no clue what the term substantively means. Furthermore, it's not used by uh, by the prophet is not used in the Quran. The term itself, Islami, as a, as a sifa, as a, as an adjective, is just not used. And what that that to me is, is so significant. It shows you that Muslim civilization spread on substantive values that it stood for, as opposed to reacting solely. You know, one of my teachers once told me that you know there's a hadith of the prophet where he says that the giving hand is better than the receiving hand in the in the case in the case of charity. You know, when you give the person who gives the charity is has more um, is seen in a better light than the one who's receiving the charity. But he made the comment to me that this is not just in the realm of charity. This is in the realm of ideas as well. That get, Muslims should be givers of ideas and not just receivers of ideas. And that's kind of always oh, stuck with me and how so, I think. Yeah. Great. So on that point, though, about the substantive affirmative vision for what mm -hmm. you would like to see. I want to unpack that a little bit. You did say in a fascinating uh, little tidbit there that you see Christians as pawns in a Muslim game. So clearly you're pay you're playing like 11th dimensional, uh, what is it, like seventh dimensional chess and you're thinking like many steps ahead. But I don't really have a, a very clear sense of what you're seeing and maybe the time horizon is simply too long for us to actually have a practical conversation about it because this could take 100 200 years but you know take that where you will but i do want to just pinpoint a little bit more on this question of western civilization couldn't one argue that if you are in fact a quote-unquote muslim supremacist that you would want to undermine western civilization from within that the very fact that Western civilization is entering into, you use the term in your piece, gender confusion, that this could like bring down um, Western civilization as we know it. And then wouldn't that create an opening for Muslim supremacists to then kind of eclipse the West over time? Or where do you see? Yeah, I would like, want to, yeah. Yeah, There's no, a lot I, there, I but take, yeah. Yeah. So this, this is where we get into the realm of geopolitics. And, uh, you know, we're, you know, if, if the West were to fall, um, the other con major contender is really China. But, I mean, speaking more gra at a more granular level, I, I think we're entering into a world of multipolarity where depending on where you happen to be on the planet, you're going to be within the... Um, geopolitical sphere of one or more powers right so maybe you're more in a russian sphere or an indian sphere or a chinese sphere and there are just going to be a number of different calculations that each and every state is going to have to make um muslims in an ideal world would have more um more of a unite 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 unified block upon which they could negotiate their own space and their own values in this multipolar world but that also isn't the world we live in right now. Um, you know, I'm very, uh, I'm not one to shy away from talking about how poorly Muslim countries have done when it comes to uh, 
economic success when it comes to state um, building you know state modern building. state building yeah, to exactly. be fair so, i mean like that's because i mean totally, just to, to yeah. press you on the geopolitics of it right i mean yeah. you just you just said it right there like we're talking about and i mean i just put it forth to you for all of you know uh if i were to grant you all the sort of mm -hmm. social decline of the west it's still the 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 one to beat russia's getting its ass handed to it uh, and China may implode, nevertheless. So I mean, look, I mean, I don't, you know, whatever, whatever about about the. Uh, I guess, I guess, where I, I want to know his that, vision. I want to know well, Dragon no, Man's I mean, vision. No, no, I, mean, I, I, think, I mean, it sounds like an Islamic polity that that like has a successful state and compete and can speak for Muslims together. And I'm just pushing that out that there's well, that there's, so there's, there's would, a dragon you know, here. Yeah, I mean, I so I, I I'm <laughs> hesitant to say that explicitly. Because Mine this type did. of vision, well, <laughs> no, I no, mean, not really. I do, I do, Look, no, no, I actually, no, no, the reason why is because, you know, there are many Muslim groups out there that have advocated for this explicitly, like Hezbollah, for example, and uh, I, folks who, I mean, they're just such a childish organization, you can go on their website, you can find, like, I think, like, Excel PowerPoint files about how the future Muslim government is going to set up, and the Diwan of so-and-so, and the... Beitul Mal and like all these different things that they're these these fictional government governmental departments that they're going to set up in their glorious caliphate. I I don't ha I don't really think in that same way. You know, the those that is I think a type of. Well, I don't let, let forget my rant about his here. I don't want to go into that right now. What I'm trying to say is that there's a there's a type of childish thinking, of yeah. uh, of how 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 the glorious future is going to come. I don't know so that it's So forget about their while. glorious future. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, tell us more about, can you just say a little bit more about what your future would look like if you could have your way? Because that does relate to a lot of these questions of how we should view Western civilization. Because it seems one way of reading your work is to, is to say, well, Dragoman wants to actually strengthen Western civilization by further preventing its decline by infusing a new kind of social conservatism along with other fellow travelers on the right. And that would be good if we're able to save Western civilization from whatever you want to say it's going through. But but I, there's another part of me that thinks you're not really saying that. So I guess I just want to get to, well, you yeah. are an American Muslim. Your, your kids are born here. Um, I mean, I think you like America. Uh, I don't want to be presumptuous about how you feel about America these days, but you are in some sense patriotic, I presume, and you presumably don't want to see your own country, the country of your children, falling and failing, right? So, you know, this is, I'll be, I'll tell you guys the truth and you guys can decide whether <laughs> it's worth um, keeping it in or not. Oh, it, oh it's um, worth keeping you know. it in. I can uh, tell you already. I mean, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I'm actually planning on moving abroad in the next uh, few months. Uh, and, you know, part oh. of that is actually um, due to, I just don't want my kids to be in such a place, you know. And, and I also think mm -hmm. that the advantages that they can have by being in a Muslim environment at a very kind of supple age um, are worth it, even if it's just for one or two years. Um, but, you know, right now that I am actually planning to do you know, you know how Democrats used to say, I'm going to move to Canada if Trump's elected. Like, well, I'm actually kind of yeah. doing that in some sense. Um, and uh, but for different reasons. Now, in terms of whether and also I not am, to Canada. But, yeah, no, yeah. not to Canada, but rather to a Muslim <laughs> society. Um, now, uh, I do think that the um, the question of whether I'm a patriot and that sort of thing, I am inextricably, inextricably an American. And I think when I wrote my piece, what I had and you know the, the folks for whom i was writing on their behalf whether they liked what i said or not um were muslims who were going to have to stay here and deal with um deal with their children being exposed to i would say general mutilation child abuse mental illness i could be very explicit about what i actually think is going on here um it's a very different america than the one that um i feel that i grew up in now uh now with that said, I, you know, this is hard to say, but I, I don't, I don't think, like I said, just like, I don't think there's, there, you know, there's, there's a, there's a, 
there's a good politician in the world or a good political party in the world. I don't know that there's any one state that is going to have my full sort of allegiance. There's there's some sense where I, I, when we talk about places like China, for example, I don't speak Chinese. I don't know the reality of what's going on in these societies. I only know what's being told to me by English language outlets and what's being reported on. And uh, I, you know, I just, I don't know enough. Now, does that mean that I think China's a great place? No. In fact, my proclivity is to say I would prefer American society over Chinese society. But I also think I'm willing to say that there are certain things that they're doing that uh, I think are healthy for that society. I'm not That's sure. it for part one, dear listeners. There's a lot more where that came from. If you're not yet a paying subscriber, please head on over to wisdomofcrowds.live and become one. Help support our work. Hope to see you in the bonus.